No, clickbait. Uh, clickbait. Oh, clickbait. Nah, clickbait. Clickbait. Somebody should do a podcast about clickbait. Clickbait. You are listening to Clickbait with Ian and Gail, where scrolling is a thing of the past. There are no next buttons, and sarcastic fun is our specialty. This is Clickbait, and here's Ian and Gail. Clickbait! Hello, and welcome to the Clickbait Podcast, where we search out, talk about, and make fun of strange stories so you don't have to. Let's get started. A feral child is a child who has lived isolated from human contact from a very young age where they have little or no experience of human care, behavior, or language. These children have been the subjects of folklore and legend typically portrayed as having been raised by animals. Feral children generally lack the basic social skills that are normally learned in the process of growing up in society. Ian, are we feral children? Maybe you are. Let's read on. Feral children may display a complete lack of interest in the human activity around them. Check. They often seem mentally impaired. Check. And they may be incapable of sympathy or empathy. Definitely a check. And they have almost insurmountable trouble learning a human language. I are much many good words. And check. So feral children can't learn the human language, but speaking chimpanzee comes naturally? Scientists have been trying to figure out how to talk to animals for centuries, and they failed dismally. The only one who had any shot was Dr. Doolittle, and he's not even real. No shit. <laughs> so while this sounds like something that could have only happened a long time ago, before modern conveniences like cell phones and helicopters to help search for missing children... Yeah, we only had milk cartons when I was growing up. Gail, you never grew up. You are the Peter Pan of assholes. Oh, thank you, Ian. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Just last year in India, a girl estimated to be aged 8 to 12 years old was spotted by woodcutters, emaciated and naked, roaming with monkeys in a wildlife sanctuary. Wait, wait a minute. So the girl was naked and afraid or the woodcutters <laughs> were naked and afraid? I think the woodcutters were naked. That sounds so much better. <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> Of course, they were female woodcutters, you know, dressed in their daisy dukes and tight shirts, all knotted at the front with their boobs hanging out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, where were we? <laughs> <laughs> she was rescued by the police and taken to a local hospital. See, that's no fair. I was found roaming with the neighbor's sheep and I wasn't rescued. I was arrested. <laughs> with good cause, I expect. <laughs> She had no use of the language, walked on all fours, and generally acted like the monkey she was found with. Yeah, I'm sure she even threw shit at her captors. <laughs> <laughs> Our feral children just misunderstood Mowgli's. Do monkeys make better mothers? Does failing at fatherhood forge feral figures? Are these tragic tales a tribute to untamed training? Come with us on this wade through the monkey poo as we discuss the tale of the girl with no name and other weird shit. Or as I call her, Monkey Ho. <laughs> so there's a picture of this woman in this article by the Guardian newspaper, and I shit you not, she looks like Kira from the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> this story is pretty unbelievable, and the only account is that of Marina herself. And she starts her story with, one time at band camp... <laughs> 
In fact, it is so unbelievable that most publishers refused to touch her book because they thought she was lying. Many publishers felt her story was too fantastical to be believed. But Wikipedia was all over this. You gotta love Wikipedia. The book was also written in monkey excrement <laughs> on a cave wall, so there is that. <laughs> Very hard to reproduce. Her story begins with her at roughly four or five years old, playing outside of her Colombian home where she was kidnapped. Just another ordinary day in Colombia. <laughs> but for some reason, she was then abandoned deep in the jungle. She was playing close to her home when she was aware that two adults were creeping up behind her. I saw a hand cover my mouth, she says, a black hand and a white hanky. Then I realized people were trying to take me away. Immediately, she blames a black man. Do you see how that works? Mm -hmm. You see? She's a racist. So can you imagine how this uh, conversation goes between the two guys, right? <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you snatch their grill? Grill? Yeah, the one for the cookout, man. The game's about to start. Oh, shit. I thought you said girl. I'll be right back. <laughs> Imagine what a nightmare child she must have been if her kidnappers didn't even want to hang on to her for the ransom money. You're assuming that she was snatched for the money. Maybe they just needed another violin player for their string quartet. <laughs> when they found out she couldn't play the violin, they kicked her out of the band. It's a tough life for a musician if you can't play well. You should know that. <laughs> no one came for her, so she began walking, hoping to find someone, when she came across a family of capuchin monkeys. She says at first the monkeys ignored her but that she knew when they accepted her because they pissed on her leg. <laughs> well, that's how I let my friends know that they've been accepted. <laughs> Over time, she says, the monkeys allowed her to sit in the trees with them. When they were away looking for food, she'd become lonely and would anxiously await their return. So basically, she was a freeloader and let the monkeys do all the work. <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. All right, so let's think about this. She's accepted into this family of captured monkeys, and uh, within a family of caption monkeys, there's always a dominant male. And being the leader, that dominant male is allowed to mate with any of the females in their group. I'm just saying. Well, that's just the Georgia in you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Having no life skills of her own. Due to poor parenting. <laughs> she, she learned by watching the monkey family. Yeah, kind of how we let our kids learn by watching SpongeBob. I mean, your kids. <laughs> Mike. <laughs> Prick. <laughs> They taught her how to climb trees, what to eat, and even how to catch birds and rabbits with her bare hands. And how to fling poo, pick nits out of scalps, and to piss on legs to welcome new recruits to the family. <laughs> <laughs> she quickly learned that if she followed the monkeys as they gathered food, they would eventually drop some and she could grab that up for herself. Well, it's easier than catching birds and rabbits, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> After five years or so, she was rescued by hunters who found her and sold her to a brothel. <laughs> she was some rescue. <laughs> right. She was given the name Gloria. Oh, because no one wants to have to pay sex with a girl named... <laughs> <laughs> What's that line from Pretty Woman? What's your name? What do you want it to be? <laughs> <laughs> Just before she was about to be given to a man for the first time, she fled the brothel. At least that's what she's telling her husband now. <laughs> she lived on the streets of Kukuda, where the street children called her Pony Malta because she resembled a beer bottle. <laughs> the fuck a beer bottle? I've heard about a bunch of Iranian women in burkas riding a yellow school bus being compared to a crate of Guinness bottles, <laughs> but I don't see the connection here. <laughs> uh, during her time on the streets... She survived by putting her monkey skills to use, stealing food from markets. She would hide from the victims and the police in the treetops. One day, a friend told Marina 
how she had escaped the streets by working for food and lodgings as a domestic. So a stinky little urchin who walks on all fours, steals food, lives in treetops, and flings poo is qualified to be a maid? (laughs) Apparently so. (laughs) Marina found a family who agreed to take her on. That must have been really freaking desperate. (laughs) And renamed her Rose Alba. Uh, probably no relation to Jessica Alba, but you never know. <laughs> you never know. It turns out the family was an organized crime family. This this girl has the best luck, yeah? <laughs> exactly. So it turns out the uh, family was an organized crime family, and they made her their slave. <laughs> Which still sounds better than living in a jungle with the monkeys in a brothel or on the streets with some third world shit whole country. <laughs> <laughs> the neighbors helped her escape the mafia family, and through some connections, she was sent to Bradford to work as a nanny. Bradford. In England. <laughs> you had to connect this whack job to England, didn't you? <laughs> I didn't really have to dig deep. <laughs> it's a recurring theme. <laughs> it was there that through her church, she met her husband and started her family. Seriously, what references did the agency provide when hooking up the family in Bradford with his nanny? Good with animals? Likes bananas? I mean, come on. So this story and her autobiographical movie have been out since uh, 2014. You would think that her parents would have heard the story. Like the husband would be watching Discovery Channel and say, honey, <laughs> didn't, didn't we lose a child in Columbia about 38 years ago? <laughs> I don't know, maybe friends or parents or somebody. <laughs> so referring back to that article in The Guardian, the author writes, Marina Chapman says she isn't as mobile as she once was. It's not so easy to climb trees these days, <laughs> let alone swing or, from them. Or necessary. <laughs> yeah, or necessary. She's about 60 or 62 years old, and she's not quite sure. Um, Chapman, is, she's tiny, sinewy, and bendy. <laughs> this is from the article, I swear to God. Um, at times, she doesn't look quite human, a bit <laughs> simian, a bit feline, and apparently quite beautiful. I beg to differ, but there you go. Well, you know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder, right? Charlton Heston did kiss that monkey in Planet of the Apes. <laughs> Chapman's home is full of books, music, and pictures. And tire swings. <laughs> <laughs> and knotted rope toys. <laughs> At one end of the lounge is a grand piano, and at the other is a massive organ. A what? Oh, massive cathedral organ. Oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> Clarity is key here. Well, we are about to start talking about our husband, John. Okay. <laughs> and maybe he's got a massive organ. Husband John is a retired scientist. Oh, well, that's handy. That's handy. Now he has his own monkey at home to squirt new shampoos into eyes and jet cancer cells under his skin. <laughs> Ironic that he sought out the monkey woman. Uh uh, her husband plays the church organ. <laughs> it's a Catholic joke. He's play, okay, so he's playing with his organ. Wait a minute. This is how this is written. He plays with the church organ, daughter Vanessa. <laughs> Maybe there should have been a period there. <laughs> daughter Vanessa, 28, writes music jingles for a living, while Joanna, 32, works for a pregnancy crisis center and has three children, Rafiki, Donkey Kong, and Tarzan. (laughs) Marina has lived in Yorkshire for 30 years and speaks in a wonderful Columbian-Bradford hybrid with flat vowels and lisping Latin-American flourishes. Yeah, along with the uh, odd grunt. (laughs) (laughs) 
go ahead, Ian. Talk about our next uh, <laughs> our next victim. And then we have Dina Sinchar. Deep in the northern Indian jungle of Uttar Pradesh in 1872, a group of hunters stopped in their tracks, bewildered by what they were seeing. A pack of wolves loped through the forest, followed by a ghostly form, a small child ambling on all fours. The unlikely pack disappeared into a nearby den. The hunters planted a fire at the opening of the cave and smoked the pack out. As the group reappeared, the hunters killed the wolves and captured the boy. <laughs> That's a bit harsh, right? <laughs> yeah. Poor kid. Some asshole comes out of the forest, waxes his entire family, and kidnaps him. Oh, I'm sorry. Rescues him. <laughs> yeah, rescues. <laughs> the case of Dina Sanachar, supposedly a six-year-old literally raised by wolves, was one of the many feral children found over the years in India and beyond. Wolf children, panther children... Chicken children. Yes, yes, that's a real thing, and we have one coming up a bit later. Uh, <laughs> my favorite part of this podcast is Chicken Boy. Uh, dog children and even gazelle children. You know, Ian, given your proclivity for bestiality, I wouldn't be surprised if you had some chicken children running around somewhere. Why did the pervert cross the road? I don't know. Because his knob was stuck in the chicken. <laughs> I, I would I would update that to why did Ian cross the road? <laughs> because his nub was stuck in no way. <laughs> After the hunters captured Sanachar, they brought him to a mission-run orphanage where he was baptized and given his name. Sanachar is Urdu for Saturday. That's interesting. So when an Urdu playboy is asked, you banged that hot chick of yours yet? He can reply, Dina Sanachar. You get it? Dina Saturday. Yeah, it's weak, but this this material is stretching. <laughs> they can't all be zingers, no, right? They can't all be zingers. The orphanage was run by Father Erhart. Oh, here we go. Another priest and young boy episode. <laughs> Father Erhart, a missionary living in India, noted that although Sanchar was undoubtedly Pagal, imbecile, or idiotic, still showed signs of reason and sometimes actual shrewdness. Wolf Boy was onto that father. He had the old guy sus from the get-go, and the father was just pissed that he couldn't get his rocks off, so he called the kid an imbecile. <laughs> Not long after Sanachar's discovery, Kipling wrote the beloved children's collection The Jungle Book, in which a young man-cub, Mowgli, wanders into the Indian forest and is adopted by the animals, causing some to suggest that Sanachar was Kipling's inspiration. It's a fantasy about reclaiming a lost connection with the natural world and about the end of human isolation. Sanachar's caretaker, Father Erhart, would fall into the reformer camp, carefully plotting all of Sanachar's progress. Yeah, and sexual deviation, no doubt. <laughs> did, did you know that wolves become sexually active around age three? Uh, no. So Mowgli here has probably done it doggy style several times already, so he's, he's no innocent. <laughs> Much of the chasm between wildness and civilization has to do with language. Sanachar never learned to speak. Later, researchers would understand that there's a critical period for learning a language. Not if you ask Rosetta Stone. Exactly. <laughs> Chomsky theorized that language is central to the human experience. Seriously, including the nagging and the, you never take me anywhere, you don't earn enough, you're a lazy bum stuff. Because I could go a lifetime without that shit every week. <laughs> Yeah, well, he's probably talking about that as well. <laughs> he goes on to say, if languageless people were abandoned on an island, they would create a language of their own. Sanachar may not have spoken his would-be mother tongue, but he had cobbled together other cruder, less specifically human forms of communication. Like rap music. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
which were often outpourings of impatience and rage. See? Just like rap music. (laughs) Indeed, many of these children raised by animals would adopt their animal parents' modes of communication. Barking, howling, and growling. And sniffing each other's butts. (laughs) (laughs) The few images of Sanachar that remain reveal a wild-eyed figure, his body contorted as though he doesn't understand how to be in it. The sight of him clothed is even more alarming. Yeah, you know, polyester disco shirts and Daisy Duke seem to be the only thing they can find at the local thrift shop. <laughs> God, can you imagine? <laughs> Sanichair would live the uh, rest of his short life in the orphanage. After about 20 years of human contact, his list of human behaviors remained bracingly small. And that's good because we do some fucked up things. <laughs> <laughs> Although he could walk erect. <laughs> Yeah, and that's especially <laughs> uncomfortable in those Daisy Duke tighties. Uh, I suppose that's why you wear slacks to the nudie bar. <laughs> no, well, personally, I wear sweatpants and a hoodie. <laughs> uh, apparently, Sanichar moved uh, much more ably on all fours. Uh, and the girls at the nudie bar do that, too. <laughs> uh, he could dress himself without difficulty. Sounds a bit like you, Gail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm getting there. Uh, and managed to keep track of his cup and plate. That does not sound like you, Gail. <laughs> You've been talking to my wife. <laughs> uh, he continued to smell his food before eating it, uh, always eschewing anything but raw meat. The only human habit he willingly adopted was smoking, and he became a <laughs> prolific chain smoker. <laughs> Big Tobacco doesn't care who they get addicted as long as they're making money. Yep. <laughs> but Sanichar didn't have a job. So somebody had to be buying him cigs. Yeah. Anyway, he died in 1895, and some say from tuberculosis. Yeah, I think he was the original Marlboro man. (laughs) It's time, Ian. It's time. It's time for Chicken Boy. (laughs) Sujit Kumar, the Chicken Boy. The Happy Home Trust was created to fulfill the needs of Sujit Kumar. The extent of abuse he suffered during his formative years is still unknown. Yeah, you know, because abusers tend not to document that kind of (laughs) shit. (laughs) Uh, Sujit's mother committed suicide in 1977, and his father was murdered and put in the trunk of his own taxi in 1981. That'll teach him to take the long way around. (laughs) Probably an Uber driver. (laughs) His aging grandparents found him left in the middle of the road one night, but could not take proper care of him. Could not or would not. Hmm. I mean, my experience is that grandparents just spoil the shit out of their grandkids, and they reverse several years of careful parenting programming just to get back at the sons and daughters who fucked with them as they were kids. <laughs> Media reports and the first-hand accounts of neighbors tell us that Sujit was confined with chickens from an early point in his life. And he stayed there until social workers moved him to an old people's home in 1979. Yeah, this is why I never buy brown eggs. <laughs> yeah, uh, honey, these eggs taste like shit. <laughs> so, so that was the grandparent solution. Put him in with the chickens. <laughs> Maybe my childhood wasn't so bad. <laughs> when the superintendent of the old folks' home met Sujit, she said, Holy shit, a talking chicken! <laughs> Sujit would mostly hop around like a chicken, peck at his food on the ground, perch and make noises like the calling of a chicken. He would prefer to roost on the floor and go to sleep rather than sleep in a bed. Because it felt somehow wrong to sleep on a feather pillow. (laughs) Could be, could be. (laughs) 
Uh, she did not find him mentally handicapped. He was just a little different from the other little boys because he had been so traumatized and mistreated. Different as in he thought he was a freaking chicken? <laughs> yeah, that's like, like, like that's not going to hobble him socially. Come on. <laughs> it, even so, his caretakers at the home tied him to the bed with strips of linen. It sounds like one of your dates, Gail. <laughs> I, I'm starting to think he's better off with the chickens. At least there he was free range. Now he's tied to his bed. <laughs> that is where Elizabeth Clayton, incoming president of the Rotary Club of Suva, found him on December 28, 2002. And her account follows. The day I met Sujit. It was a usual pleasant day. The sun was shining and a number of Rotarians gathered in some Bula old people's home to present a donation of plastic dining tables. Cheap bastards, plastic furniture. <laughs> right. <laughs> I didn't realize it, but my life was about to change forever. Yeah, that plastic shit makes your butt sweat. Yeah, and it's bad for the environment. <laughs> Hell kind of helpful person are you? My Rotarian colleague asked me if I had seen the chicken boy who was tied up at the home. <laughs> My imagination ran wild. <laughs> I thought he meant that KFC delivery guy finally showed up. <laughs> I won't get hungry. <laughs> Someone in the home has been described as Chicken Boy. <laughs> he might peck at his food and perch like a chicken. How absurd. How disgusting. Surely in 2002, in Fiji, a reasonably sophisticated developing country, this could not be real. <laughs> a sophisticated developing country <laughs> I don't know about that <laughs> It was granted independence in 1970 from the British, the British. Shit, There we go <laughs> <laughs> yes. And they've had like seven military coups No pun intended It wasn't until 2014 that they finally established a democratically elected government So sophisticated developing is like saying Liberia is just going through a rough patch for the last 40 years. But but the beach resorts are apparently amazing. (laughs) She could not come to terms with the fact that she was about to meet a real, wild, feral child who had been confined in isolation for many years. Yeah, and she was disappointed to learn that the invitation was spelled wrong and she didn't get to meet a feral child and said she ended up meeting Pharrell. Needless to say, she was not as happy as the song would suggest. And why does he wear that big fucking hat? I mean, seriously, someone tell him he looks like a twat, for God's sake. (laughs) She thought, how could this be? How had he become feral? Why was he tied up still? And why did that excite her so? (laughs) (laughs) She wondered, how old was he? Is he single? Who did this to him? What's, Why was he here? What's his sign? <laughs> it's a dating website. It's a Georgia dating website. Yeah. Chickens. <laughs> the corner of the ward in the far back of the room had nothing pleasant about it. Dirty, paint peeling off the walls, the floors were missing tiles, and everything was covered in mildew. It was a place of extreme isolation. This could describe most of the apartments in Detroit. <laughs> Or the private place I like to call my masturbatorium. (laughs) Yes, it has a name. (laughs) You know, that almost sounds like a Roman name. What would your Roman name be? Biggest Dickus. Biggest Dickus. I think (laughs) that's from Monty Python. I just had to get that out there. I I love Monty Python. I have a very good friend called Biggest Dickus. (laughs) I think I would be, I don't know, Scroticus. (laughs) 
<laughs> or maybe testicles. <laughs> testicles. That's a good one either. <laughs> the glass in the windows had been replaced with masonite. Someone created a small hole in the corner. So when the smell got too bad, the boy, the boy could be hosed down with water. Urine and feces would be pushed outside. It was also used as a local glory hole by the other inmates. <laughs> Remind me not to get old in Fiji. Holy shit. It's getting right. Old folks are treated like shit in Fiji. Oh. The bed was an old high hospital bed with a flat mattress covered by a yellowed cracked plastic cover. That wasn't a cover. That was a half inch thick layer of stale piss. <laughs> Monkey piss. Yeah. An empty powder tin in the corner served as a comfort toy for this boy. He would jiggle it back and forth erratically out of boredom. Yeah, I'm guessing that wasn't the only thing he jiggled when he got bored, especially with that glory hole in the back. <laughs> Think of much better things to jiggle when I'm bored. That's why I'm always dehydrated. And then there was Chicken Boy, very disturbed looking, lunging back and forth on a knotted piece of bed linen that tethered him to the wall near his bed. This is where Sujit Kumar lived his life. And it's still a better life than a dozier school for boys where I was sent to live. And if you want to know what I'm talking about, Google that story. <laughs> the dozier school for boys or the school for dozier boys? Because you've always been a bit slow, mate. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Elizabeth Clayton says, I felt nauseous. So deeply horrified, my face quivered around my mouth. Ooh, like he that. was covered with sores and wore baggy flannel trousers tied to his waist with strips of bed linens. You, they must have had an abundance of like bed linens because they just tear them up and use them for everything. <laughs> his gray white t-shirt hung off of him. He looked so small, but so wild. Is this another one of your Mills and Boone's romance novel excerpts? <laughs> well, you know, I have to promote them because they are Patreon subscribers. So I promised. <laughs> He tried to bite me when approached. He had just defecated on the floor and began playing with it. It was all over his face. <laughs> I thought, could he be eating his own feces? No, my dog does that. It's called fecal philia. It's Ooh. supposed to be a way parent animals clean up after their pups. I think my dog's dog is just deranged. He has no pups. And since he has no nuts either, he's <laughs> never going to have any. <laughs> but the cool thing is we have another philia to discuss. <laughs> When he did get fed, he tipped his mushy food onto the floor and pecked at it. He ate much like the chickens he had lived with for the formative years of his life. And the questions continued. Why did this happen to him? What could have been so wrong with him that he was put in with chickens? Probably because he was always playing with his pecker. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't someone, a neighbor, a relative, a passerby, anyone rescue him? How the fuck can the neighbors live with that smell? And what the heck is he going to do with that handful of shit? <laughs> oh my God, did he just eat that? Did he just eat that shit? <laughs> One relative said that at two years old, Sujit looked like a monkey in a cage. A neighbor spoke about feeding him scraps and seeing him in the chicken pen under the house at 4 a.m., but never informed the authorities. <laughs> just fantastic neighbors right there. <laughs> Is this really an acceptable practice in this country? <laughs> Apparently fucking so. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Uh, at least one person, a lawyer in the ombudsman office, said it's a cultural thing. <laughs> <laughs> there is a fear about child possessing an evil spirit, worsened by the fact that both parents met untimely and aggressive deaths. See, there is that sophisticated developing country we heard about. <laughs> yep. <laughs> completely developing in the wrong direction. 
He may have been born with epilepsy or maybe suffered an injury after birth. Uh, he could have been beaten with a crowbar and being thrown <laughs> down the steps. <laughs> he, he was diagnosed with mild cerebral palsy. Yeah, and that was the least of his issues. <laughs> that this child survived it all in these conditions is amazing. If he had been given the nurturing environment every child should have, would he have risen above whatever unnerved his parents? Yeah, but where's the fun in that? <laughs> It reminds me of that uh, John Lithgow movie, um, Raising Cain. Have you seen that? No. Okay, in Raising Cain, he takes a child. uh, I don't recall if it's his child or if it's just a child that he kidnapped. I don't know, but I believe it's one of his. And he locks him in a dog cage. And he won't let him out until he is letting out the child that he wants. So the boy's name is Cain. And he says, no, I want Billy. You can't come out of that cage until Billy comes out of that cage. So this kid would develop multiple personalities, and it was a it was a uh, an experiment by the father, and he developed like sixteen personalities or something like that. That's just fucked up, man. Oh, well, in in my eyes, it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> so tests showed that uh, Sujit had a normal brain function for a chicken. <laughs> Elizabeth pulled Sujit out of the wretched state she found him in. Now, thanks to countless volunteers and donors, he lives comfortably under her care at the Happy Home. With Pharrell and his stupid hat. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and the support of a team of volunteer therapists. Uh, Sujit spends his days working through programs to re-socialize him, teaching him to stand, walk, and eat, and otherwise function more like an average human. Ah, Gail, you aspire to be average. Long even to be average. (laughs) Especially in the trousers department. Ain't that right, Pencil Dick? Pencil Dick? (laughs) Did I get a promotion? (laughs) I told you that penis pump was working. (laughs) Doctors oversee his epilepsy and caretakers make sure he goes through regular daily habits of bathing, shaving, (laughs) dressing. It sounds a lot like he lives in Georgia. Except the shaving, bathing and dressing part. (laughs) Suja is truly one of a kind. You don't say. (laughs) Thank Christ. (laughs) If you ever come to Fiji, stop by for a visit. Jesus Christ, he's on display. (laughs) (laughs) The dirty chicken boy is no more. A clean, comfortably clothed individual has taken his place. Like a body snatcher. Or did chicken boy get fired and was replaced? (laughs) This has to be an EEOC issue, yeah? I mean... It doesn't get much more minority than a chicken boy. <laughs> and can we stop calling him chicken boy? He's a man now, for Christ's sake. Yeah, He-Man. He-Man chicken boy? <laughs> By the power of Skull, <laughs> I am He-Man chicken boy. <laughs> Some traces of his past cannot be erased. He'll never learn to speak. His fingers remain crooked from some former injury, and he's still learning the best way to behave. But he eats with a spoon, drinks from a cup, and lays down in a bed to sleep. He loves to tease and always finds a way to communicate what he needs. Like throwing his poop at you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but they can't figure out what that means. Maybe he's just having fun. (laughs) It's impossible to say where Sujit might be now if Elizabeth had not come to his aid. Probably having fun with the rest of the chickens and saying, fuck off to the world. Who is this (laughs) bitch to force her reality of how to live on the man? (laughs) (laughs) Marina Chapman and those others we mentioned were feral due to circumstances of their childhood. And uh, that's usually the case with feral children. But that's not the case for our next subject, who chose to become something like a feral person. 
1954 was a big year in world events. It was the year that Under God was added to the Pledge of Allegiance, the CIA built a tunnel from West Berlin into East Berlin to tap Soviet and East German communications, India recognised Chinese rule in Tibet, and most importantly, in 1954 was the day that Amu Haji took his last bath. Born in 1933, 84-year-old Amu Haji had lived alone in the Iranian desert near the isolated village of Dejah. That's Iranian for shithole, by the way. <laughs> Dejah is in the southern province of Fars, and Amu has not bathed in the last six decades. Which is pretty impressive, because according to worldlifeexpectancy.com, the average lifespan of an Iranian born in 1933 is only 38 years old. You'd think that the eight years between 1980 and 1988, where Iran and Iraq were kicking the snot out of each other, might have impacted that life expectancy just a bit. Just a bit. Estimates for Iranian deaths in this eight-year conflict go for up to 800,000 people. Generally accepted number is somewhere in the region of 300k, and the average age of the combatants was 23. Amu Haji is not his real name, but that's what the locals call him. Amu is a Farsi term of endearment for kind old man, and Haji is a title of sorts for Muslim men who have journeyed to Mecca. Yeah, his real name is Stanky McStankface. Huh, he doesn't look Irish. <laughs> <laughs> Local people say he suffered an emotional setback as a teenager and decided to spend the rest of his life alone in the wild. <laughs> you know, I guess it's better than shooting up a school. <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> I was wondering if this uh, emotional setback was brought about by an inappropriate encounter with an amorous cleric, or perhaps his date for the prom stood him up. <laughs> You know, he did this by choice, not like Marina Chapman, who was abducted, abandoned, and raised by monkeys. The animal's not the band. <laughs> and just in case you were wondering, he doesn't have a house. He lives in a hole in the ground. Not a cave, a hole. It's a nice hole, though. All mod cons. I hear that Chip and Joanna Gaines were going to do a fixer-upper episode <laughs> on it, but it's hard to get shiplap in Iran, and so they passed on the deal. <laughs> The locals did build a small one-room shack for him and say that he's happier than some people who live with the modern comforts and conveniences. Like doors, windows, toilets, electricity. <laughs> you know, I looked up Deja uh, on Google Earth. Oh, who's doing research yeah, I, now? You know, <laughs> you know. Okay, you caught me. But I looked it up. I had to, right? You got to look it up because I wanted, I was hoping to see his home. They had a, a picture of it in the story. And uh, so I looked up Deja uh, on Google Earth. And basically, he lives exactly like the rest of the villagers <laughs> in regards to the house that they build him. is no different. <laughs> Mad. Uh, so apparently, to stay healthy, he drinks five liters of water a day. And his favorite meal is porcupine meat. That's his favorite meal. <laughs> Other delicacies are roadkill and other carrion. I'm not kidding. Still, is that any worse than Taco Bell? I mean, <laughs> do we really believe that's 100% USDA beef in those burritos? That was a thing a few years, a few months back, if you remember. Uh, folks were convinced the meat was not meat. It provoked a resurgence of the Charlton Heston movie, <laughs> Soylent Green. Soylent Green. <laughs> Google search results exploded to two or three a week. <laughs> You know the kids today don't even know that Heston was the original Planet of the Apes guy? That's so sad. Get your damn dirty ape hands off of me. <laughs> uh, they played homage to that line in the Mark Wahlberg uh, remake, but it was the ape bitching about the human. So, <laughs> I mean, why do they have to try to be clever? The remake was such, such donkey balls anyway. It wasn't any good at all. And then they made a sequel to the remake, and it was just as bad. So, so uh, Amu is a smoker. 
but due to his lack of income, he, he needs to hook up with, with uh, that other fellow, the Mowgli, because someone's buying his cigarettes. Yeah, he could probably do better than what he's about to smoke. <laughs> so due to his lack of income, he smokes animal dung instead of tobacco. Uh, which, surprisingly enough, is much healthier since it lacks the tar and other carcinogens of tobacco. I do believe you can now get animal dung juice to vape with. Personally, I'd like to try unicorn poop flavor. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fantastic. And while he's not washed in 60 years, he still believes... He still believes grooming's important and occasionally trims his beard by burning it over an open flame. Amu has also been seen manscaping over an open flame. <laughs> Ladies, he's still single. And badass, apparently. <laughs> that concludes today's episode. If you'd like to support the Clickbait Podcast, please visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash clickbaitcast. If you would like to get in touch with us and make a story suggestion, send an email to clickbaitcasters at gmail.com. We don't promise to use your suggestion, but if we do, you will get a mention during that episode. At Clickbait, we don't claim to have written any of the source material that we've used in the making of our podcast. In fact, the very opposite is true. This is how it works. We do as little research as humanly possible to get the material we need. That usually means a questionable wiki page. Then we read the story and insert smart-ass comments as we see fit. Each episode would have a post at our Patreon page that refers back to those questionable sources we used. You know, that wiki page we spoke about? And all the credit goes to the folks that put in the actual work that makes our job easier. So we thank you, hard workers, 